I want Hilary Swank in the next Terminator movie so bad. There is nothing in this world that you give me to do to hug a robot. It's because it's so incredible and intricate that it's impossible not to notice. Music's the core of this movie. Born again to watch this movie. <laughs> You'll find redeeming things and you'll be thinking about it for a long time afterwards. There was no bone saw. Just John hamming it up over here. Two and a half out of three of us recommend it. <laughs> Everybody loves talking about movies. Let's talk about movies. Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Pause, Rewind, Play podcast. I'm your host, Casey, with our co-host... I'm back! Vince! <laughs> he's returned! What's up, everybody? I'm finally back. Sorry I was gone for so long. In Puerto Rico. Yeah, I was gone on vacation. Me and my wife took off and hung out in uh, paradise for a week. What's the best food there? Oh, that's a loaded question. So <laughs> my favorite thing we ate down there, I love mofongo. Um, mofongo is like mashed plantains with uh, soup kind of on top, kind of a gravy, and they make it all sorts of different ways depending on what kind of topping you want to go on it. It's freaking good. Um, tostones are kind of a side that goes with it. It's mashed and fried plantains again. Uh, but if you really want to eat good, go to a, a – they're called lechoneras, and um, it's it's – fry it. it's pig on a pole barbecued pig what do you call that a spit, spit? yeah spit. you wanted to do Sorry. it at one point at your house in gunnison I yeah remember. i still want to do it here so, at this house probably <laughs> yeah they have they have those just like around and you can just eat a ton of meats and a ton of rice and beans a ton of plantains it's really good food and i'm salivating over here now so <laughs> yeah can you make some of us? Can you make some of that for us? I'm not a very good cook, but I could attempt it. Well, just send me a recipe and I'll figure out how to make it. I'll Deal. go find the most local Puerto Rican here in Utah. I had this mofongo with this uh, garlic, kind of this white sauce on top. Oh, man, it was so, so good. But I don't know what the ingredients were or anything. I've never had mofongo like that before. Mm. So it was, I would definitely go back to it. It was, it was in kind of a touristy spot, so it was a little expensive, but... Uh, worth mm -hmm. the money for sure other than that we ate too much we played in the jungle we hung out on the beach we dodged hurricanes and tropical storms and it was the perfect vacation well we are glad you are back and glad you had a good time me too i miss doing this i honestly <laughs> did uh i listened to your john wick chapter one episode while laying in bed in one of our airbnbs it was in this part of town called it's called Lucio, and we were down in like this really uh kind of like crowded area where everyone kind of like lives on each other urban area and you could hear everything because no one like your windows are just kind of like metal plates because mm -hmm. it's so hot or whatever and so you could just hear everything outside so we heard like straight dogs barking at each other whenever someone <laughs> drove down the street blasting reggaeton you would hear it chickens just crowing all over the place there's a big apartment complex next door so you hear people screaming at each other i was just like <laughs> i can't sleep so i popped in my headphones and i listened to you guys talk about john wick and it was great <laughs> So, I wonder if we're going to have like one one listener now from Puerto Rico. It's going to show like one time someone listened from Let's there. hope so. I would be so cool to see on the metrics. And our next recording will be down in Puerto Rico to support that one listener. Perfect. <laughs> we're going back. Someone book us plane tickets. Actually, I saw on flights from home that there was like pretty good round trip tickets down there. Yeah, that's why we went. Um, I both don't recommend and do recommend going this time of year, though, because it's hurricane season. So like I said, we were dodging storms a lot. We actually got really lucky, uh, and that sucks to be dodging hurricanes and tropical storms. But uh, 
there's no tourist tourists down there this time of year. We had beaches to ourselves. Like there was so few people anywhere we went and it made it so much more fun just to not be shoulder to shoulder with other people and being able to get into like the the tourist locations like the bioluminescent bay where you could get tickets day of instead of having to order it weeks in advance you know so it it has good and bad good and bad this time of year but if you get tickets just go down anytime the the island's amazing it's beautiful i feel like it's my second home i lived there for two years i can't wait to go back hopefully it doesn't take 10 years to go back again because <laughs> 10 years ago is when i went last time Wow. And that's me. <laughs> Welcome back, Vince. And then we also have Josh. I feel like I should just, you know, stop talking now because I've done literally so much boring stuff versus all of Vince's <laughs> exciting stuff. Literally, it's just been work and school and a ton of things. I had a family thing last week and stuff, which is why I wasn't here for John Wick 2. But Super excited to be back with the crew for John Wick 3, Parabellum. So. Yeah, this is the first time we'd all, yeah. we've all been back together in three weeks. I think so, yeah. It's, two weeks? It's been a minute. I think it's like two 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 weeks, maybe three. The I gang's back together. We got the hey, band back yeah. together, guys. One la- Well, I guess Whoa. not the last <laughs> well, ride. Uh, surprise. <laughs> it's the last ride for, for hopefully a hundred more episodes. <laughs> last ride for John Wick until John Wick 4 comes yeah. out, right? Yeah. Oh, gosh, yes which I'm very excited for. Josh, I I had a really good time at your family get-together, by the way. Josh is my brother-in-law, just so everyone knows. This family get-together, they had a soup kind of like party, but then one of Josh's aunts went and bought like thousands of chicken nuggets. Oh, that's <laughs> she, a dream come true. That was the best. Yeah, like don't get me wrong. I loved like eating the soups and stuff and it was great, but I just like grabbed a ton of those chicken nuggets and Heck some yeah. ranch and barbecue sauce and I'm like, that was the highlight of the night. That sounds great. Nugs for life. Where were the nugs from? BK. Burger King. Are their nuggets good? I haven't had theirs in I like time. them. They're pretty cheap compared to other nuggets, yeah. but they're still tasty. Yeah. Like I think we could do a nugget review one weekend just just to see you could do like a oh, what's it called uh, like a good mythical morning thing where we do like a blind taste, taste test, test and try to guess where which nuggets are just from give me where. an excuse to eat nuggets and I'm there. perfect all right the nugget party will happen one day I've, I've had a pretty bland life as well i i went on a hike today with my dog she carried a stick a mile up the trail, dropped it, and then on the way down, it carried it a mile back down the trail. That was that's a pretty good highlight awesome. of my life. And uh, yeah, I've been watching a little bit of a TV. And that's about it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, let's let's kind of jump into it for a moment here. What have you guys been watching, Vince? You said that you watched a few things that we yeah. need to chat about. Yeah. So me and my wife, we are not really night. I mean, we're night owls, but we're not really. We don't really go out and party at night or anything. So in Puerto Rico, it gets dark. Like the sun goes down about 6.30. We go and we like kind of went and ate dinner and then went home. And so we kind of watch movies. And then I also had a five-hour flight or like seven-hour flight out there and back. So I just had time to watch a lot of stuff. So I, I had – it's hard. I watched like six movies or something on our vacation. And it's hard to like narrow down which ones I want to talk to. So I'm going to narrow it down to two – and then two kind of like call outs. I, I just want to sh- like share my thoughts about it. So number one, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. Not a good movie. Moving on. <laughs> Hellboy. The, the new, new one? one. With David Harbour. With David Harbour. I did not like it. Oh. I tried. I see what they were trying to do. 
there was a good movie somewhere in there, but it was good for the airplane because I didn't really have to pay much attention to it. And maybe that's why it was worse for me. I don't know, but I feel like it covered a lot of things. And I feel like David Har- David Harbour did great, but I felt like the makeup on him was distracting and the CGI didn't work for me. I'm, I'm, we were spoiled with Guillermo del Toro's version of, of realistic mm-hmm. stuff, and the CGI just made it feel so much faker. Yeah, the I, I will not lie. I enjoyed that new remake, but the Guillermo del Toro's are by far my favorite. Yeah. So, But I think David Harbour has a lot of talent, and I, mm-hmm. I it's kind of like a freak. What's his name? Rain Wilson. It's too bad Like his first real big breakout solo star type thing is kind of like, because I'm worried he's not going to get more. That's, yeah, that's really how I feel. I well, he's gonna be in Black Widow, so he's gonna make. Oh, his, is yeah, he? Yeah, sure. he's gonna be fine. He's gonna but, be in that, and I feel like if you look deep er into actors' careers, you can find good stuff. Yeah. Like he's in that one Frankenstein movie on Netflix, which I haven't watched, but I've heard really good things about. I haven't seen it. And also, uh, in case you guys haven't watched it, Rain Wilson is in a movie called Silver Lake mm-hmm. on Netflix, which is amazing. Okay. You should check it out. Cool. So, anyways. Okay, and then I just want to hurry and run through this. Um, the two movies that I loved. Those are the two that I didn't like. The The two that I loved that you guys should see is one, The Long Shot, or I guess it's just called Long Shot, with um, Seth Rogen and... Uh, uh, oh, I know what you're talking about. Charlize Theron. Yeah. Freaking awesome movie. It's a great rom-com. Oh, it's really funny. Yeah. I love Seth Rogen's humor. He cracks me up. It's about she's running for president, and he's a journalist, and it's really good and heartwarming and funny, and I loved it. And then number two... Uh, it's called Fighting With My Family. I wanted to see that so bad when I saw the commercials. It's great. And I'm not into WWE wrestling at all. Michael is always trying to get me to do it, to like watch it with him, but I just can't get into it. Fighting With My Family is the story of Paige, who is a WWE female wrestler. And apparently she's like really like has been kind of this inspiration in within the league, kind of like has really built it up and helped train the girls and just has been like a really key p- part of everything. And it's her story where she came from and her family. And it's great. Um, I teared up a little bit at one point. It's kind of a Rocky story. You know, the, the underdog goes through, has some trouble trains up and comes out really strong kind of a thing. And it's just, it's just great. Well, cause I heard Check it's really out. emotional, but then it also has a lot of really good comedy and stuff too. Doesn't yeah. it? Oh yeah. It yeah. has Vince Vaughn and yeah. Uh, Vince Vaughn is, and that's what surprised me. Like, this is my one critique with it, and I I understand why they did it. Um, my my buddy Matt told me, uh, I think it was Matt. He's uh, apparently The Rock produced it. It's his production company, and that's why he's on the poster. And he does play a role in the movie, but very small. Vince Vaughn plays a huge part in this movie, yet it's The Rock that's on the poster. <laughs> uh, I don't agree with that. Like, I, I get Vaughn. it. It's The Rock's movie. It's his production company, and they're trying to like get more people to watch it by putting The Rock on there. But like Vince Vaughn got the short end of the stick here. And that's everything. I've talked a lot. <laughs> I just haven't been on this in a long time. I will say. <laughs> no, please. I've enjoyed it. Also, you got a new book. Oh. We have to talk about this book a little bit because you've let us know that we need to watch The Dark Crystal. Okay, what did you get? Yeah, there's two more things I guess I got to talk Holy about. Holy cow. Wait, really quick before he does that. <laughs> can we say that Vince went and talked for like seven minutes without telling you guys to watch The Dark Crystal? <laughs> Yeah, Sorry, continue. Uh, watch The Dark Crystal. Um, <laughs> also on Netflix, they just released The Making of The Dark Crystal. It's an hour and a half docu- documentary about about the making of it. And 
it's really cool too. I haven't quite finished it yet. I'm like halfway through it, but it's really good. And I also, uh, it was my birthday a few months or a few weeks ago. My little sister gave me the a, a novel. It's the uh, ultimate visual history of the Dark Crystal, and it's freaking awesome. It's got like all of Jim Henson's like notes, like kind of photocopies of his notes and pictures of actual the actual um, like sets and puppets and just all the information on how they met it. I haven't started reading it yet, but I brought it over to show you guys. I'm real excited about it. If you can't tell, it's really cool. We already took a look at it a little bit, and it looks way awesome. And I am not yet into the dark crystal i am 10 minutes into the dark crystal but i'm sure that as much good reviews both from vince also from vince also from <laughs> some other people as well that i will enjoy it as well i'm four episodes in and i i like it i just really got distracted this past week by disenchantment part two uh-huh. which is a uh kind of like a it's made oh by yeah Matt Groening. Guy, yeah. yeah um but yeah no I will need to finish the Dark Crystal, so. Yes, you will. I'm excited. And actually, like, here's something that, like, I just want to call out. So, I did not like the Dark Crystal of the Child. And that's being, <laughs> that, that's me being really honest. But I watched the first episode, and it was kind of weird. And then the second episode, really, you got into it. And I, I was like, ooh, I like this. And I started, like, kind of build a relationship and kind of, like, a love for some of the characters. And so, yeah, I, I would recommend it. So even though I tease Vince a little bit about yeah. recommending The Dark Crystal, I think that if you give it a shot, more than, like, one episode, you'll you'll watch the whole series. Yeah, it consistently gets better throughout the series. Like like you said, it's kind of weird in episode one, but it, the first episode feels the most like the original movie. Like when they do a dream fast and they do the voiceover for the first time, the things they say and the way they say it and the way they like laugh and stuff, it's Uh exactly like the dream fast in the original movie. And it just puts a smile on my face every time. It's kind of that like nostalgia (laughs) feel. Well, watch the dark crystal. (laughs) I don't know what else to say right there. Um, Josh, what about you? What did you end up watching this week? I know that you're, you're quite busy this season, but what, what's kind of going down for you? Yeah, for sure. So I recently finished, um, reading listening to the goldfinch which is a a book which won a pulitzer prize for fiction in 2013 2014 um and so i went and i saw the movie which had just barely been released with ansel elgore and finn wolfhard and nicole kidman and the movie has a lot of bad press critically like i think it's around like 30 ish percent on rotten tomatoes but the audience score is around 80 percent And so I think it's more of like if you haven't read the book, you enjoy it more because I finished reading it, listening to it, and then I went and I saw it and I enjoyed it a lot because I was still, I was really fresh off the book and I was really emotionally involved with a lot of the characters. But since I knew a lot of the stuff that was coming, I wasn't surprised like someone coming at it with a fresh fresh set of eyes could be. And also so much of the book, I mean, it's written beautifully. This book is really amazing. It's one of my favorite books that I've ever listened to, read in the last little while, uh, the last few years probably. And so much of it is about the main character, his name is Theo, and his like experience and his thoughts and everything like that. And so that's so hard to put into a movie, mm-hmm. you know, about a, a character's personal struggle within himself or his feelings. And they did a really good job at some parts because. There are times where they're in the middle of a conversation in the book and a character will, or Theo will think about something and he'll have like a thought that takes like five minutes to read. And like, 
that's really hard to put into like a single scene, like in a conversation, yeah. but you could see where they tried to do it and it was really interesting. Um, and they did it, they did it really well. They had like the actors did great. Like, uh, I think Finn Wolfhard was my favorite. He plays the young Boris and their relationship and everything was amazing. So I think especially if you haven't seen it, don't be like, oh, I haven't seen the book, so I don't get it. I think if you haven't read the book, it might even be a little bit better for you. And so I liked it. I would recommend it. It was really, I think, another reason why it got a lot of hate from the critics was it was there was a few times where it was really choppy with the dialogue. There were a few scenes that were really crucial, and it was really choppy. And also, I mean, if you've seen the commercial or know anything about the book, you know that, you know, his mother dies in an explosion at an art museum. And that happens in like right at the beginning of the book, except for the whole first part of the book establishes the relationship of him and his mom. And then like the explosion happens. And then the rest of the book is him dealing with that and everything else that ensues. But they chose in the movie to just like do little flashbacks, but you never even see the mom or anything until like the very end and you hear her. And so I disliked that part of it very much because you don't, you know, see her and you don't really know about your relationship. You just sort of, you know, infer, oh, it was this kid and his mom. They were close and all that stuff. Yeah. But that was a long, I didn't think I was going to go that long about it. I liked (laughs) it. I'm also going to be writing a little thing, which we're going to be throwing up right when we do our website. So I'm going to be writing a little thing about the Goldfinch little book and movie comparison. So be looking for that as well. Let me get into a little bit about what I watched. I know everyone's dying to know because I can't obviously top the Dark Crystal or the Goldfinch. But what I watched this week was actually, I my wife was watching this the other night and I got really invested in it. It's called Two Sentence Horrors. So it's like short 15-minute films made off of these two-sentence horror cool. stories. They're super cool. It's on Netflix. It's an original series. I just bonked my nose on the mic. <laughs> but it's, it's it's super cool. And actually, in such a short amount of time, you can convey a lot of good emotion and you don't have any fluff. And I think that that's really cool. I actually watched all of Disenchantment, um, the second season, which I think is pretty good. I enjoy the humor on it. A lot of people, like it's an adult um, cartoon. So it's a lot of fun. I think that if you're looking for something kind of cheesy with a like a loose storyline that you can pick up anytime, that and then my wife and I also start rewatching Big Mouth, uh, which is a a series on growing up and uh, puberty. It's it's a lot of fun, so everyone should watch that and also watch Vikings. It's yeah, on Hulu. Vikings is great, and that's great. I'm actually on the fifth episode. I'm rewatching it, and it is better than I remember. So yeah, that's that's it. I'm not gonna go really deep into it. I haven't watched any films besides uh, John Wick three which is what we're going to talk about. So also really quick, I started, so I started, it's on TV right now, which I don't watch a lot of TV shows, which are like on TV, but when they go to Hulu the next day, I can keep up with them. The last season of the good place airing right now. If you haven't watched the good place, check it out. Super amazing. The first three seasons are on Netflix. And then each time an episode goes out, it's put on Hulu It's the last season. So it's going to be really good. And that's all. And if we're shouting out TV, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. The new season just started this week, so watch that too. There's a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've all had a good a good little time of watching movies, TV series. Watch The Good Place. Watch The Dark Crystal. Watch It's Always Sunny. And also watch History Vikings. Um, but yeah, let's, let's kind of jump into John Wick 3. 
Vince, because you've been gone, I'm going to assign you the wonderful task of giving us a little bit of outline of what's going on, some of the money facts and yeah, all yeah, of that yeah. that you normally have. I got it, the movie info. So, this movie, John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum, the first in the three to have a name at the end of the chapter, right? Uh, directed by Chad Stahelski, written by Derek Kolstad, Shay Hatton, Chris Collins, Mark Abrams, and Derek Kolstad. Uh, it was released May 17th, 2019 with a budget, and this is from IMDb, double check me again, I always got to put that disclaimer out now, of about $55 million, estimated $55 million, has made a worldwide gross of around $321 million. Very successful. Rotten Tomatoes gave it a critic score of 90% um, and an audience score of 87%, and IMDb gave it a 76 Movie is starring Keanu Reeves, Halle Berry, Lawrence Fishburne, and uh, what's the guy's name that plays Winston? Ian McShane. Mm-hmm. Am I missing anybody? What's that guy's name? Lance Reddick. He's the like the guy at the. He's oh, the, the hotel, right? The front. Okay, yeah. the concierge. At the I front. love yeah, him. He's great. He's great in this. I'm so glad that he got a bigger role in yeah, this one. It, wasn't it good? Because he's like one of my favorite ones in the first two movies, and then now that he all came out and he left. Sorry, not just, to like go too just far into so it. Just so yeah. sophisticated and just takes him. care of business. Yeah. This assassin's world of sophisticated assassins is just. It's just. Ooh. Guys, I've really, really wanted to talk about John Wick. I'm so happy <laughs> this one. And also not to go too far to who it's starring, but also we have Asia Kate Dillon, who's the adjudicator. Mm-hmm. And then not as big a role, but Jerome Flynn from Game of Thrones is in it. So. Yeah, Braun himself. Wait, what about appearance. the guy who has the beard who's the TikTok, Mr. Wick TikTok? Oh, and my man Jason Manzukis shows yes. up. The TikTok man working for the Bowery King. Yeah. <laughs> we we have to know him because his role, albeit like slightly subtle, grew throughout this. And it was like he was a constant presence. He's like wind, you know, he was there all the time. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> he was there, then he wasn't, then he was there. He just Yeah, it was good. He's so good. And and this is one of the Easter eggs that Casey, I think you brought up, right? Um, about his podcast. Yeah. So essentially he talked about, he broke down like the original John Wick and he was like a huge fan of it. And because of his connections through his podcast, essentially he like talked about being on John Wick, like in a John Wick movie and they got him in. And so he made his dream come true. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to his podcast. Him. They do uh, it's called, how did this get made? And they just make fun of movies. It's, it's freaking hilarious. I listen to it very often. <laughs> apparently that's how we need to get in movies we make your podcast big enough and then we say the ones we want to get into and then they let you in all right i got some casting considerations Oof. for sophia um i'm gonna name off these women and you guys tell me which ones you think would have been great for the role so it was played by Halle berry who did so good in this she's an amazing actress she's beautiful and proved that she's deadly and a great fit for this uh also considered Jessica Biel, Salma Hayek, Penelope Cruz, U- Uma Thurman, and Marissa Tomei. Those are the ones that I recognized. There was two more that I didn't recognize that I left off the list. Penelope, Penelope Cruz, Cruz and Uma Thurman would have been great. I'm with you, Uma, Uma Thurman. Uma as well. I like. I think Penelope Cruz, I'm not saying, obviously not better than Halle Berry, but I would have enjoyed that Has very much. Has she been in anything similar to this? Um, I don't really know I her filmography. So. I know she was in uh, like a Pirates of the Caribbean and showed up in a couple other places, but there's nothing that has really like stood out to me that made me think, oh, she should be in a John Wick movie. 
not not that I can think of off the top of my head, but let's see. Pirates of the Caribbean, everybody knows. She was in Vanilla Sky. Yeah, I don't think so. I think this would be like her first kind of like darker darker action uh-huh. film. But I think she could have pulled it off because she kind of has that look and the ability to play a character who is just kind of slightly twisted. And I think it would be she'd do pretty good. Mm-hmm. But I think they made the right choice. Yeah. yeah, Halle Berry was incredible. And the more that I like dug in and looked into the how like how this movie actually got made and the amount of like training and preparation and everything that they had to go to, through to do this these movies, these John Wick movies cuz Chad Stahelski, he he comes from a uh, action choreography background and a stunt double. He was he was Keanu Reeves stunt double in the Matrix movies. So like he comes from this background and when he makes these movies, he wants to make them as realistic as possible with as little jump cuts and as little special effects as possible. So that means they have months and months and months of training beforehand to get these choreographed fights perfect before they put them in there. Um, I read a thing that said that Keanu Reeves, for every John Wick movie, puts in six months of training, eight hours of day to be ready to do these chore- these these fight scenes he kind of goes into like training prep mode is what he talks about in some of the behind the scenes on the dvds where he's like my friends are like where'd you go and he's like i didn't disappear i didn't go anywhere i haven't hit i'm just working I was working and i think that that's really cool and what they said too is that halle berry wanted to keep up with mm-hmm. essentially that aspect of it and so she trained as well and she she mentioned the interview it's like harder than i've ever trained before for something so i thought that that's pretty cool and not only in gun training and kung fu training but she also has the two dogs so she had to spend all this time learning how to command these two dogs and get this connection with these two dogs that are trained to attack people like these <laughs> dogs were literally trained to attack people and like keanu reeves in an interview said that when they brought the dogs on set for the first time, the trainer told him not to look the dogs in the eyes. And Halle Berry's over there like petting him and stuff, and he's not even like allowed to look at them he's wrong, like, uh... you know? <laughs> so like when they're casting this, I don't know, like they got to find someone that's really willing to put the work in because these movies are not easy to make, and it shows in the finished product. Oof. Oh, man. All right. There's there's a lot of beauty in these films because for like, and I and I mentioned it and I know that I haven't released the second one you guys haven't heard yet but it, kind of what they talk about is here let me let me grab my show notes from the other one because I think it's a really good thing this is what Keanu kind of quotes directly in an interview that he did after the release of the third movie is he says cars guns knives you know basic stuff you got to know how to make an omelet right and then later they kind of talk about they take the time to build up and break down a scene to perfect it with choreography, but then also they take the time to get the right shots with the camera work and editing as well. So it seems like these guys who have been stunt performers so long are taking that meticulous work that they have to do to protect themselves as they're doing these stunts into protecting and creating a product that is so finished and beautiful Mm. that we enjoy it. So the thing that I love most about the john wick movies is that so much of it is just trained on those action sequences and that's sort of what it's meant to be right it's that you have this guy and he's like a myth and a legend and while it's super realistic it's about pushing the limits and someone who's super focused and everything like that what they would be able to do and so i think it's super awesome and so just them putting in all of that training to be able to show and put it out in a realistic way it just blows my mind and 
makes me thankful that these actors are willing to do that sort of thing so that we could have this product that we love. Mm-hmm. And it takes someone like Keanu Reeves who actually loves to do that kind of stuff. Like, like this is his job. He's putting him all the work, but he just genuinely, genuinely loves it. I, I just don't think we'd have a series like this if it wasn't for Keanu Reeves. We love you, Keanu. We love you so much, Keanu. <laughs> the year of Keanu continues. <laughs> so I just, I have a couple things to say about John Wick 1 and 2 since I wasn't able to be here for it. Yeah, give it to us. John Wick 1 is the perfect way to start a franchise, whereas like Alita was trying to jam-pack too much world-building into one movie, Alita Battle Angel. It's a movie we did a little while back. This one's kind of these movies are kind of the opposite where each movie has built out the universe with each with each iteration, with each sequel, right? John Wick 1 was very much a story about a man who lost his wife, who lost his dog and the one way he was able to grieve to this old lifestyle, this old assassin's lifestyle that he used to live and he just starts to go on this revenge trip, right? John Wick 2 kind of continues that it expands the universe a little bit more it's a little bit bigger there's a a, you can tell a higher budget and then john wick 3 comes out and it's just like from moment one in this movie we're moving it picks up does you guys gotta remind me because it's been a little while it does john wick 2 pick up right at the end of john wick 1 it's like a week later so it's designed to be later in the week okay so for instance like the first movie ends on a monday night it picks back up on a Thursday afternoon type thing, a Thursday evening when the guy shows up at his house. But this one picks up right where the last one ended. Correct. Where John has killed someone in the Continental, and there's two rules in this universe that are unbreakable. Rule one, you have to um, pay your markers. If you're ever given a marker or you get a marker, you have to pay that off. And rule two, you can't kill in the Continental in any of these hotels. And at the end of John Wick 2, he kills in the Continental, thus barring these, this giant contract, this $14 million contract where everyone in the world is out to kill John. And it just picks up right where it left off, where he's in the countdown of the countdown of his hour that he was given and just trying to like decide what he's going to do and where he's going to go. And it just starts off with this bang and... It's so cool. Well, yeah, because you think about it, and these movies are so different, but it's also so crazy to think about that they really are. I thought about it during the third one, where, because one of the guys was like, hey, like, this guy, he's been going crazy. He's killed so many people this last week over a dog and a car. And I'm like, this last week? What do you mean? And then I'm like, whoa, it, it really is all this last week. Like, John Wick 1 happens. John Wick 2 happens. John Wick 3... Dude, this guy's having a crazy week, man. <laughs> he is. And the crazy thing is he does not stop. Like, he's killed hundreds and hundreds of people. And you can tell in this one that he's kind of feeling his age. Like, after the fights and stuff, you kind of see him get up. He does these incredible fight scenes. And then when he has these, like, slow down, slower moments, and you see him just kind of standing, he kind of staggers sometimes. Like, you're starting to kind of see not only his age, but this week is playing a toll on him and also that since he is still newly back in the game he's been retired for yeah. five years right well what's kind of crazy about this too is think about it john wick originally retired on his own terms right he did that undoable task or whatever it was 
And now he's gone out essentially again on his own terms, but with the repercussions of breaking the code. And so now everyone's out to get him. He's excommunicado. He is literally has a target on his back. And so now what's going to happen is everyone's out to get him and everyone in the city randomly are assassins. I didn't realize how big this world is, right? <laughs> that's that's a crazy thing though. Is like in number 1, you're viewing it almost as an outsider looking in. And and it's very like I said, it's very shallow of the world that you see. And by this one, by number 3, you are just enveloped in it. And it's hard to go from like number one where you can't really see this assassin's world and you're seeing it kind of from an outsider's perspective looking in to number three where you're seeing it from an insider's perspective and learning about the world and how the assassins work. It almost feel like different movies. I love that you're enveloped in it, but at the same time, there's still so much that you don't know and that is new. Mm -hmm. Like this adjudicator chick shows up and you're just like, who is she? Like, why is she here? Why does she have power? All these other things. So even though you're completely immersed in the world, there's still new things that are able to come that don't feel forced. Because a lot of times when you have a series like this and they try to expand the world so that the next threat is bigger and harder, it just feels too forced. You're like, that's ridiculous. And this isn't it. It's just, oh, like we learned another detail about this intricate world that we've been thrown into the middle of. And that's kind of my point with Alita. Like Alita tried to jam pack too much in at once. The, we've, we've learned so little about John Wick's universe and we've had three movies and each one just expands on it. And it's so cool the way, the way they're doing it. They're not going bigger, bigger explosions. I mean, their fights are getting more incredible, but it's not like a bigger bad guy showing up or anything. It's just like expanding little by little well and what they did this time too was is in the other movies they're mostly like guns fist fights and some cars right in this and, and a little bit of knife work but in this one like there's a lot more like the way they expanded the fights out is with like swords like and like real yeah. knife fighting and axe throwing scenes and stuff like that and i thought that that was perfect because it's not overwhelming how they've done it but it's just enough that it's like holy crap how does this guy know all these skills got some sweet skills with nunchucks and horses. Oh, yeah. yeah. And motorcycles. And motorcycles, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's all in there, and it's just it's crazy how they expanded it to where it's not like we're looking at a superhero movie where they're like, oh, aliens are coming in. It's like, oh, he his skills are in- impressive, and as he's kind of getting back into it more, you're like, this guy, we're, getting... this guy is a fan club, but this guy really knew. He was really the leader of the assassins in some way. Like, he was a celebrity he's the oh, yeah. steve young of his day that's i don't like, know that's like my favorite part how all of these guys they're all like trying to kill each other but then they're like oh my god this is the best i get a fight with you john wick <laughs> they this have, is so cool yeah they have so much respect for him because he's like you said this legend and that's something that i also love just like to throw quick because we'll probably talk a little bit about the fight scenes but i did love the fight scene where he fought the two guys towards the end because they had so much respect mm-hmm. toward each other that even though they were having a crazy, like amazing fight scene, like they still just respected each other so much. And like he didn't end up killing him. Yeah, like so. they could have killed him twice in that fight scene. Yeah, they could. But they're like, come on, like we realize you've been fighting for for two weeks now. We'll give you a second chance. Let's we want to we want that fair fight. We want to see what he's really capable of and end up like respecting each other at the end. And John Wick spares their life and. Do you know what's crazy about the way that this is? Sorry to interrupt you. No, you're right. It feels like like one of those old Super Nintendo games, kind of like playing like Mega Man X or something. You're going through all these bad 
bad guys and then you get to the boss right in which the i think his name is zero right the the mm-hmm. the the sous chef gone samurai um <laughs> he, he he's just like watching all the time while everyone else beats john wake up and then he's like oh I'm the big boss. Here I am. I'm so honored to fight you. And he's nerding out more than anybody. That's true. And I think it is even sort of like that because I thought about it in a video game sense as well because he beats the people and then he like goes up the stairs to the next floor and he beats the next people and then he goes up the stairs again to fight Zero. So, yeah. Anyways, Um, in case we haven't, we should probably, you know, an official spoiler. Oh, right. Think. Go ahead. There's there's already been a ton of spoilers, so <laughs> spoilers ahead and behind. Uh, we'll jump super deep into it now. So yeah. if for some reason you haven't seen it, go check out Keanu Reeves. It's the year of Keanu. Everyone loves him. Go watch him. He's amazing, and you'll love it. So this world, we kind of talked about it a little bit already, is a world of rules. And Winston even says it's the rules that keep us separate, us separate from, from the, the animals, animals, right? And it's, I think it's such a cool idea because, like, really, everyone in here, especially John Wick, is so, like, you have respect for them. Like, they're doing these terrible, terrible things, but their rules are there to kind of, like, keep them from crossing a line. You don't kill in the Continental. You don't do this. You don't do that, you know? And John Wick seems to be kind of the pinnacle or the, like, prime example of what an assassin should be in this world and everyone like we've seen throughout all the episodes everyone who has broken the laws i mean this movie is about consequences right they repeat it over and over in here it's about consequences everyone who has broken the law the rules i mean have been punished with the exception of john wick it's because he's punishing back (laughs) (laughs) oh you want to punish me let me slap you instead (laughs) sorry and that got me thinking uh uh, just like I, i i I was trying to map out, like, who sets the rules? Where does this all come from? How did this world get started, you know? And and that's what I love about this movie. Like, we talked about it, how it expands the universe more and more. And this one we get, in number two, we got information about the, the high table themselves and getting a seat on the high table. Um, so I'd like to talk, if, that, if it's cool with you guys, I'd like to talk about what the high table is and kind of the hierarchy of how this assassin's world works with each other starting with the adjudicator that shows up right yeah the adjudicator they are an interesting character because they're almost lawless where they call the shots you don't have any idea where they came from except that they are represented they are representative of the high table right but they come as a negotiator almost like they come to negotiate but also to adjudicate yeah they come to they come to negotiate but I think it's more the second half of what Casey said, lay down the law, because that chick walks in and she just, you know, she's got no questions. She's just got the the answers or the information from the high table. She says, okay, this is the way it's going to go down. Not, hey, this stuff has been going on. What are we going to do about it? She's like, all right, this is what's going to happen. Okay, like John Wick, he's got to die, all these other things, blah, 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 boom. This she- is how it's going to happen. She kind of reminds me of if you guys are fans of like the Judge Dredd series, mm-hmm. like she's she's a judge. She's like the the jury and ex judge, jury and ex executioner. Mm-hmm. She comes in like an IRS agent and kind of like <laughs> analyzes the situation, and then without having to report to anybody, like she's got a lot of power here. Without having to report to anybody, she just does her thing and sets out what's gonna happen. Do I hear kind of what they describe her as, like adjudicators as? Yeah. 
Um, this is from Screen Rant. It says, adjudicators are high tables, less violent enforcers. Dispatch to review a situation, refresh individuals of the high tables rules, and inform them of any violations and arrange for any disciplinary actions or other deals to be made to resolve failure to follow the rules. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Because less violent, it wasn't like, obviously the adjudicator wasn't beating, you know, shooting guns and like taking physical action. Right. But felt like they were calling the shots uh-huh. the whole entire time was just like, Hey, this is the rule. You don't follow it. Boom. You get seven stripes for given seven bullets type thing. It's like, that doesn't seem less violent. It seems more like she's the maniac. So if she is the judge, jury, and ex- executioner, then does that mean that the high table themselves are the ones who set the rules? I would assume so. Yeah. They're like, like, they're like Congress and stuff. Yeah, they're like a collective like, Here's of the rules. Y'all got to follow them. And how do you get put on the high table? Um, a lot of it, I'm pretty sure, is by family, right? Because if we talk about the second one that uh, his father named his sister what's that guy's name in the second one antoni or whatever salvador antoni or something salvador like that. antoni something like that so uh, their father i don't know if he was on it but he names antonio de antonio yeah Sorry. there you go he names the guy's sister as the person who was going to be put on the seat at the high table and he wanted her dead because if she's dead then he would have claim to it okay so i'm pretty sure a lot of it is probably by families so maybe it's sort of like it started out as like some mafia thing and just like the family names are really important and so then they probably just have like a person from each one of the original families or something okay. on the high table i don't know and so so my last question is sorry guys i i have a whiteboard here written of like it's a table of wherever <laughs> the kind of the hierarchy with the uh yeah. the elder at the top and the high table so my question is if the if that guy died in number two and his sister was also dead did we are did we ever find out who filled that seat on the high table no nope. But we also don't know. Do we know anyone on the high table? No, no. but there are 12 seats. That's all I there's know. There's 12 seats on the high yeah, table? Yeah, there's 12 seats. Yeah. There are 12 high crime families. Okay. so <laughs> That was just the theory. We don't know if that's yeah. what it is. <laughs> oh, no. I read it here on Screen oh, really? Rant. Oh, okay. Well, Sorry, I'm, still, I'm okay. still not from Screen Rant tonight to help it, uh, people understand and us understand what's going on. Yeah, so. no, this is, this is what I wanted to go through because I'm, I'm just kind of placing things in my yeah. mind and kind of learning as, like we said, as we're going on, we're learning more about this world. I want to clear things up, right? Yeah. So we don't know, but I'm pretty sure that's where things could go possibly in the future is that we learn about the high table more and meet more of uh, the high table. Well, okay. I, th- I think based off of the ending of the show, like to jump he- forward a little bit, right? At the end of the show, John Wick now has like a real vengeance that needs to be served. And so I think that that's what's going to kind of come out in the fourth movie, but we can talk about that later. Yeah, I want to go in like, and, and hear you guys' predictions here, too, on what do you think is going to happen next. But I have one more question before we get into, before we move on. Uh, it's the Elder. So we get introduced to the Elder in this movie. And there's a line when Bronn from Game of Thrones showed up shows up <laughs> after they get in uh, to this place in Casablanca where he, sa- he shows them a coin, the first coin, and he also says on the other side of his desk is a coin that represents the first elder or something like that or the first monk i think is what he calls it do you guys think that that is a reference to the elders and because he he talks about kind of like this is you know setting up the thing you know setting up this world came down to the coins the gold coins that we use and the appointment of the first monk or the elder i assume 
and I, from what I understand, and you guys correct me if this is wrong, the elder is kind of the moral compass of the society where there's the high table who set the rules and everyone has to abide by that rule. But there's one man, the elder, who sits above the high table who can come in as kind of this moral compass and say, yes, you broke the rule, but I have the authority to look at your situation and free you from the consequences of your actions. The president. The president of the club. We've got, like, all of the government in there now, except for it's in a secret John Wick way, and so it's way cooler than our government. I, I don't know. I tried to do a little bit of research on this before, and all it pulled up was actual theories on monks, and it pulled up, like, four <laughs> pages about Jay Shetty. But as far as I understand it, the elder or, you know, I don't know who this first monk was, right? I'm curious if that's just an appointed position, kind of like the Dalai Lama type thing, where like they decide, like at one point, like, like the high table comes together as the twelve, and, and they elect one person. it. Yeah, it's got to be that because the elder is like thirty-five. Or yeah, something. he's a young guy, and Winston's like a million years old. <laughs> Sorry, Ian McShane, but it's true. So it, I, th- I think okay. it's got to be something like that, where it's like an elected position, but he also it has to be something where he's. They probably have some sort of ritual. That gives him, and then it's really cool. Powers. Like it's really cool that once he becomes the elder, he's kind of floats. Like he's no one really knows where he is. They just he I just this walk a, into the desert till you're almost dead, and yeah. you'll find him. And or he'll if find he wants you. to find you, he can. The way that I view him is he's this moral compass that sits above everything. He sits above the high table and he watches everything that's happening. And so when they tell John Wick to go, when Bron tells John Wick to go out into the de- desert, he's pretty much saying, "Go out." sacrifice yourself if this elder who's watching everything that's happening happening decides you're worthy of being forgiven of the breaking the rules then he'll find you but if he is if he looks and sees morally you're in the wrong he's just gonna let you die out there so it's up to you like if you want to keep running keep running if you want to take this risk to get forgiven you can be forgiven I can go with that I think I'm I'm almost curious and right like we're still kind of in a gray area of we don't know I'm curious if, for instance, these assassins have, like, trackers in them. And so for him to be able to see where you are, kind of watch you, these maybe tracking beacons or, for instance, similar to what happened in... I hate that referencing this in this movie, but, like, I think it's Fast 7 or 8, the one where the person steals, like, all the ability to see with all the satellites uh-huh. and point stuff. I'm curious if maybe they have control of a large amount of satellites and knew exactly where John Wick was, watched his suffering, and then landed a helicopter somewhere out there in the desert and set up, up that tent. I don't know. And then threw him on a camel. Go get him. Because yeah. well, I think if they did, it would just be like the high table or the elder. Because, that has the ability. Because then otherwise, right at the very beginning of the movie, everyone would have been where John Wick was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so Can you imagine the chaos that that could go into? <laughs> Dude, that library was already crazy enough with... Dude, that ginormous guy. Oh, my god, He's a basketball player. Yeah, he is. I forget his name, and- though. John Wick just snaps his neck over a book. <laughs> Dude, he, he like what is he? He and breaks was, his jaw first with the uh, book, yeah. and then he oh my god! And then he snaps his neck over the book, and I audibly said to myself, "All right, let's go." <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Okay, and we can get into awesome fight scenes here in two seconds. But there's one more thing about the lore that I want to discuss before we move into nerding out over how cool these action scenes were. Ready? My biggest problem with the old movies was trying to understand what these coins were worth because in C- in in John Wick chapter 1 he breaks open the basement and he has a box full of these gold coins and he looks like he is rich and then he goes to the continental 
and he uses one coin to check in and get all of his guns and get all of his suits and do all this stuff. And later in the movie, he sits down at the bar and he uses another coin to get one drink. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> they only have the best alcohol well, there. I think it's a coin per service, essentially, because, right, he, he gives a coin at each station, essentially, he goes to in the second film, as far as I understand it. And then he hands a coin to the taxi driver in this to get his dog to the concierge of the Continental. And so I think... And this is just a theory, right? I don't quite understand their monetary system yet. Where they, they kind of talk about it in this one. Yeah, a little bit more, but I'm not perfect. I don't remember. Yeah, go ahead. Though. But uh, no, go. I, I just lost my train. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm it's sorry, all man. good. <laughs> no, essentially, I think that they exchange the services based off of demand. Because I think... Well, that they say it's a representation of an exchanging of services or, or something like that, right? Yeah. Like bronze says something along those lines where it's not, it doesn't have, the coin doesn't have a monetary value. Mm-hmm. It's a representation of exchanging of services. And that puts a whole different perspective on John Wick for me. Mm-hmm. Because John Wick has so many of these gold coins, which means he has done so much work for so many people. And not just killing people because he gets paid to kill people. This exchanging of coins means he is helping people like with personal problems like he did with Halle Berry's character, Sophia, except hers was more extreme to get her daughter out, right? Right. She did a marker with him. But it explains why John Wick is so revered in this world. Like uh, everyone like we talked about he's a legend so everyone respects him for his ability but also he's such a good guy like everyone respects and wants to like be on john wick's side what you're saying is he's the keanu reeves of this world yeah (laughs) (laughs) he must have just when he was a part of this world before just been keanu reeves just doing nice guy things and helping people out because he has so many of these coins well there's a there's a there's a line he says in this film where he says like to be of service or something or to serve and to be of service. Right. And so I'm curious if that also relates, like when you, when you do these services, right. People can either thank you by having your back later, right. With the relationships you see throughout the films building up to this and during, or if they can actually do a physical coin or a marker for you at that point, because it seems like this whole society is built around tasks and like mm-hmm. tasks and favors essentially. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I really that's that's my theory. I'm I missed something probably when I was looking at my phone here for this quote. Well, this but. has been this has been my favorite part of John Wick. Well, like that's a lie. My favorite part <laughs> of John Wick three is the fighting, but this has been why I think John Wick three has been one of my probably my favorite of the three is because it's explained these. It's starting to explain these things that have kind of left me wondering what the deal was and answered my questions. And I'm excited as the series keeps on going that they'll keep on answering these questions and building on the lore. And it's just, it's so cool the way they're doing it. Yeah. I think it's beautiful there. I read a rumor about like they, they build it at, they build the next section of the film or the next section of the universe based off of the reception of the, the film before, which is kind of interesting because they don't want to go too far but they want to know that they're they're giving you enough that you'll come back and watch the next film. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's, well, that, they're doing it. <laughs> that brings me to my next topic. Getting into the factions, the different factions that are in here, mm-hmm. starting with John Wick's background. So you're talking like John Wick coming from like the theater with the, what are they, the Ruskies? Yeah, um, so there, his, fa- his faction is called the, the Ruska-Rama. Oh, the Ruska-Rama. And I say Rom, I say faction because i don't know what else to call them they seem like they are these groups 
that are training assassins yeah. and then giving their assassins or like leasing their assassins out to the high table to do all the work. That would, well, obviously these guys have their own army, right? The high table, but they don't necessarily have all of, they don't have all the hands they need all the time. And so I think that's why they have to contract out and get people to train their folks. And I think, I think the Ruscaroma right there, they're just there. So actually this is what it says again on uh thank you screen rant. It says an organization of Russian gypsies that trains children up to be assassins with fundamental focuses on both wrestling and ballet. I think that's kind of a weird focus, <laughs> focus it's, group. It's cool though. Cause like you kind of see, I mean, like dancing helps I, the way that John Wick fights is kind of a dance, right? And the way you see those wrestlers doing the moves that John Wick's always doing throughout the series, grabbing yeah. arms, flipping people around. You can see his background throughout this whole scene when he's walking through with the, the Ruscaroma. Yeah. The director is what they call her, like the leader of this group. And I think what's really interesting is each of the members within the Ruscaroma, Roma, they have, uh, they have tattoos on them, which John Wick in this film exchanges the the purity as much as his back isn't scarred and tattered already of his tattoo in exchange for a ticket to Casablanca. And so they must like through their like allegiance to this faction, they must be able to cash in a certain amount of something to get more things. Like yeah, more it seems favors. like they have, they have one ticket because she breaks his, his necklace and then they well, brand, brand him, him with the upside down cross. Exactly. You can't yeah. come back. Yeah, you can't come back from that because they brand him and so you'll be able to see it forever as well as it just, there's so much, they're so focused on, I don't know if it's because they're Ukrainian or Russian or whatever, and they're just really focused on Christianity or the reason that they have those tattoos and then the upside down cross like cancels all that out. But it's just really interesting to see them like have all that and see more of John Wick's like real origin in this movie where even though it's not like necessary like his family family like it is does that make sense yeah it's it's cool it shows you more of john wick's history without sitting on it yeah it's, it's a it's not like hey let's have a whole movie where we dive into the origin of john wick it just gives you like that shady little background where you can you know let your mind run wild it all comes down to one line where she walks in and they're wrestling and she's like does this bring back memories giovanni yeah you get his like <laughs> either his name within the organization or is that his real name because in i think it's the second or is it in this movie where he says i am a child of the belarusi and uh or belarus i think um but it, it makes you wonder is john wick his real name or does he have some sort of like very slavic russian name that we just don't know yet maybe it was too hard for his wife to pronounce so he's just like just call me john <laughs> i'm john well because what's his face calls him jonathan winston yeah, that's true. i mean maybe it was just maybe joe bonnie means jonathan <laughs> i don't know it's true i know nothing about russian so so we've got the uh the Ru the ruscaroma which is where Jim, uh john comes from and then we have the the asian kind of society which has all the ninjas the sushi they, chefs the sushi chef and all of them <laughs> the sushi samurai chefs yes. which we don't we don't really get to see a lot of how they're trained or picked up or anything but that's another little faction um we also have the faction out in casablanca and you see kind of what the continental looks like in casablanca and then we have the uh, the Bowery Men. Did you guys talk about the Bowery Men in the last episode? Only very little. I I would be interested to talk more about them because they 
they're like skilled assassins just disguised as bums. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if there's a better great. way to do it. It's so great. I mean, I love the Bowery because you definitely got them in the last one as well. And John Wick knows about them, right? I'm sure a lot of even the assassins know that they exist but don't know who they are. John Wick, in the second one, he gets off the train and he runs up to like the one bum that's in the whole subway, but he knows that that guy's an assassin because he gives him a gold coin and, and has him help him out. I love them in this one. I mean, the TikTok man, that was just like, that was one of my favorite parts of the whole movie because he's running and he's like, oh, maybe I'll be safe in this alley. And then he hears the crazy guy talking to himself and he looks over and the guy looks up and he knows exactly what's happening and he looks at his watch, which by the way, like this homeless guy's got a super nice, nice watch. watch. TikTok, Mr. Wick. TikTok, Mr. Wick. <laughs> ah, so good. I love the Bowery Man. And also just being led by Lawrence Fishburne as well. Yeah, who who is the kind of the self-proclaimed king of the Bowery. So, so am I to understand this right, that the Bowery Men are not excommunicado assassins, but kind of assassins that haven't really followed the rules, they're are like, kind of against the high table, but they, the high table is too powerful, so they can't really... They're like the lower class of the, of the assassin world, sort of, you know? So the, assa- the Continental are the five-star assassins, and the Bowery men are like the one-star assassins? I don't, I don't know if they're one-star assassins, because <laughs> they do some pretty good stuff a lot think... of the times. I just think they're like lower class in terms of like money and status but they also kind of choose to live that way well i think too that these guys also have designed a world that's underground right because the like think about this the people who go to the continental right they're in an underground society right where they literally like they blend in with society these guys are kind of more like out front they're they're okay with being a little bit of like a standout individual but they're not necessarily like the classiest, poshiest individuals of it, but they have like such a well-connected underground society that they know everything. Like, you know how he, they come, like the adjudicator shows up to, you know, the Bowery King's place and he's got the birds, just like oh, birds. And he's like, have you ever had a pigeon get hacked essentially? Oh, like yeah, he yeah. talks about that. And what I think is really interesting about this, especially with having Lawrence Fishburne play this part is I had major Matrix vibes at this moment, like in this whole series with him being there because he's kind of a part of the society that's not a part of the rest of the group because like in in the Matrix, right, the Nebuchadnezzar is kind of this rogue ship that does its own things. It does kind of follow the rules, but it still does its own stuff. Same thing with the Bowery. They're a part of the society and they are a part of the underground, but they run things on their own terms with you know, the Bowery King just saying, I'm the king, you know, and the king has arrived or whatever he says, you know. So I don't know. That's, that's, a, that's a thought. Well, yeah, I just love that you mentioned that because that is the whole thing is that even though they live and they sort of are like homeless people and everything like that, he says, when the guy comes to talk to him about it, he says, I admire you because you've built this system that you have a hidden spy on every single street corner that no one pays attention to. Mm-hmm. So that's how they literally know every single thing that's going on. Because everyone just ignores the bums. Yeah. No one wants to look at them. Everyone wants to pretend they're not there. Yeah. A genius way to do things. That's cool how you kind of described it. They are, we have the regular world that we see in John Wick, and then we have the underworld of assassins, and then we have the underworld of the underworld with the Bowery. (laughs) 
That's yeah. a really cool idea. <laughs> it's, it's a, you see why I had to write this out as a tree to figure out what's going on here? Do you want to have some other thing, thoughts that blow your mind really fast? Yeah. So within within this world, right, you have the sommelier and the weapons dealers, right? Uh-huh. You have the cartographers, the ones who provide the maps, and they know everything about all these buildings that these assassins are going through. You have the tailors who, you know, weave things in. But did you think about the underground doctor at all? Like his faction, like there's a whole him. medical society wow. down there. But also, what about the cleaners who just show up and clean this up, like sweep it under the rug as yeah. if it didn't happen? Yeah, like these guys are like, you know, they're down there and they are doing stuff, and it's like, that's interesting. Like you, you never think about the depths of what really happens in everyday society until it's like pointed out. Like yeah, like I would have never thought about that. Yeah. The cleaners, like, oh, I'm just going to show up, clean up a bunch of bodies and do it in silence. The cleaners are cool. The doctor, man, what a badass. Like, he knows that, like, John, he's going to get in trouble and they're going to kill him. And John Wick knows that, too. It's a freaking, like, (laughs) shoots him. Two bullets. He's like, hey, man, you got to shoot me. He's like, right here. He's like, right between. The John Wick just shoots him. He's like, oh, all right. And then as he's about to leave, he's like, wait, you got to do it again. (laughs) One's not enough. And he's just going to, like, stitch himself up. Make sure not to hit my collarbone. (laughs) (laughs) What an awesome guy. Um, you brought up Matrix um, just a second ago. Uh, I think there's more reasons behind behind why you're getting Matrix vibes. Um, I have written down. Can I say one more theory yeah, while you're pulling that up? I also think that this is the next iteration of the Matrix because, right, once Surprise. if you're looking at <laughs> if you're looking at the Matrix, right, in the third one, he talks to the architect, where he's like, "We do different iterations of the Matrix every time," oh. and this person who is the one, aka Neo, and whoever was historically the one, gets to restart the next you know settlement and colony of Zion or whatever. And this is the next iteration. Keanu becomes an assassin. The reason we don't know much about his backstory is because we're plopped. He's plopped with just one thing. He's starting out going forward. But he's in the Matrix, but he is the one. It's starting a revolution. Surprise. John Wick 4 and the Matrix 4 are the same (laughs) movie. (laughs) Crossover. The best would be if Keanu has long hair for this. I'm going to support your theory here even more. Um, (laughs) Lawrence Fishburne is back performing with Keanu Reeves. There is also the guy who plays the doctor is the key master from yep. the second Matrix movie. Um, and one of the guys that he fights in this one, uh, I think his name was like Tiger or something like that. Mm-hmm. He was in a Matrix movie as well. And uh, Stahelski was part of the Matrix as the stunt coordinator and stunt double as Keanu Reeves. Um, and there's a line in this movie pulled directly from the Matrix universe. Guns. When he gets ready for the... Yeah, I was, I was like, sorry, I went too early, but yeah. So yeah, right when he's getting ready to defend the Continental, he says, Guns. Lots of guns, yes. right? That's the line. I need guns. <laughs> Lots of guns. <laughs> Quote pulled directly from the Matrix and delivered so well. And it just, again, one of those moments where it's like, let's go. <laughs> it's delivered in a way that's so well, but also that only Keanu could do. Because if anyone else said it that way, I would think it was like the most boring line ever. <laughs> because a lot of times you think about actors and like everything they do with their voices, with inflection and the way they move their faces. Keanu literally just like looks and he's just like, guns, lots of guns. And it could be like so boring if that wasn't like John Wick just getting down to business, yeah. you know? So good. Which brings us to the fight scenes. <laughs> Let's nerd out about the fight scenes. <laughs> Which ones? I, I, that's the hard part. It's because they're all so good. Okay, let's start from the beginning. I 
and I I can't decide. I've been going like racking my brain which one of these fight scenes are my favorite fight scenes, and I don't know if I can say I have a favorite one because all of them are so different and so good. But the knife fight right at the beginning, so much different than any of the John Wick movies we've seen so far. Which he runs one's this one. Sorry. So this is right at the beginning when he's like running away still before he uh, gets to um, his his old home. And this is where he gets the Hall of Weapons. And he walks in. It's like a museum, and it's got these old guns. And right. then they walk around the corner, and it's just like a hall of knives behind glass. And they start out fighting each other before they realize they're surrounded with knives, <laughs> and it turns into a throwing knife battle. This is the coolest thing I've seen in so long. The best part of that whole thing, though, is like. I'm not kidding you. I love the fighting and the fighting is excellent is when they just like, oh, here's all these weapons. And like, both like, psh, 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 breaking it. I love when there's moments like that because they also do a really good job with the music in these movies. It's very Edgar Wright-esque as the movie, as the music really matches the action that's going on and they try to really match like the movements of the characters and everything. Another part I loved, I don't remember if it was in this fight or if it was another one. I think it was another one because... Um, it was more with guns is that they all came to a realization at the same time. John Wick had like a guy in a headlock and there was another guy who was looking at him and they all tried to shoot each other, but they were oh, all yeah. out. So they all just lick each other. And then it's just whoever can reload so their gun fastest <laughs> can shoot the other people. And of course it's John Wick, but no dude, the, the throwing knives one, that is like literally the best because the best part is they're not even like, I, I don't think that this is their best skill because a lot of the knives they throw, they're just like bouncing everywhere and they're not all connecting. But it's eventually like towards the end of the fight, John Wick gets his groove and almost everyone that he throws actually goes in one because it's really funny. A lot of the times they're just breaking the glass and they're just like throwing knives, <laughs> but not even any of them are it's like so, hitting so and cool. bouncing off. And then just to put like the period on the scene, you know, like to end it off perfectly, you have this really high moment where he grabs the guy and slowly stabs him in the eyeball and you're just like, oh, I hate that and you think it's over and he walks around the corner and the one guy pulls a knife out of his chest and John just walks around the corner and picks up an axe and just double hand over the head throws it and smacks the guy right in the side of the head and drops holy it. cow and right when you think just, it's all done boom yeah exactly <laughs> see that's the thing is that I actually watched this movie in parts just to make sure that I could have it done in time for tonight and I I stopped it twice, and both of the times I stopped right after an action scene, or what I thought was right after an action scene. One of them was that time because I thought they finished, and then I pressed play, and at the very end, and then another time was when him and Halle Berry fight all the people in Casablanca, and they finish, and then as they're going out, like these cars pull up, and they like shoot a ton of people, and then they're done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The kill count is ever increasing in these films. I just want everyone to be mindful of how epic all these kills are. Like, so, so I saw in a couple. I I tried to find out find the kill count, and I didn't get an exact number. One place said 124. Another place said like in the 80s. So it's between 124 and 80 kills. Well, that's just John Wick, movie. right? Just him. <laughs> but think about like everyone else that's killing at the same time, right? Yeah. Like the bodies are just stacking, and I guess, like, sorry, I derail this a little bit thinking about the body count here, but no, my my favorite part is when they add the horses into this, that, the horse scene, yes. which is is fantastic. So this bridge, right, so they're running through the city, right, and then they get on this bridge with John Wick on the horse. They This is a double-decker bridge, so they shut down one part of the bridge, and they actually had this whole bridge to themselves. Oh, so cool. this is actually the movie studio doing something awesome. And I just love that he's just, like, fighting these guys on motorbikes on a horse, 
it's 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 like westerns meets Jason Bourne, which is John Wick. It was beautiful. Yeah, as soon as he jumped on that horse, like I was so ready because there were the parts where they were in the stable before, where the people are chasing him when he would get the horse, like kick the guys, which is like, oh, like yeah. holy cow, <laughs> that horse just destroyed that man. And then he's like hanging off the side of the horse to use the horse as like a shield, and then like jumps around to shoot the guy. Dang. That's how creative this guy is. Like, <laughs> he used horses as weapons. Not only did he use guns and knives, but he used horses as a weapon to kill people in this. Multiple times. Multiple times. He uses a book to kill people in this. In John Wick 2, they, or it might have been in 1, I can't remember, they talk about he killed someone with a pencil. They and talked you can about see... it in 1, but then he did it again in 2. In two. Like, yeah. He did it in he's the just, He's just good at killing <laughs> he, hey man he does what he does best just imagine Hunt. like he retires a happy hunting mr wick right <laughs> just imagine like john wick retired from you know the underground world of assassins and he's like what are my skills he's like wanting to get like a a regular job yeah. he has enough money i don't think he needs it but he's just oh, what, what are you good at what are your skills killing Killing and uh, I'm bilingual, or I guess <laughs> trilingual. Or he used to be like four languages. <laughs> yeah, so a far. Lot of languages. <laughs> yeah, but he's a man of few words, so maybe he really isn't yeah, as fluent as we think. That's true. Maybe he can just get around. <laughs> maybe he just has those few phrases that he knows, besides the main ones, because obviously he's fluent in Russian, as mm-hmm. we know from both this one and the first one, where he roasts Theon Greyjoy. And then he also, in this one, he talks to those two Asian guys at the end of the movie that we kind of alluded to at the beginning of the podcast. Oh, yeah. He's just like, see you around or yeah. something. <laughs> He's, yeah. Uh, I, I want to, sorry. I know that we want to talk about the fight scenes. This is just something that I was going to bring up in the first one, and I didn't. And then I kept forgetting about it now. What are your guys' thoughts on the the words that come up? on the screen the like, way that they kind when of go people talk like, they go across and they like emphasize different words and they have different colors and it's not even when there's a lot of times it's when there's languages but sometimes it's even when it's just in english that they just do things like that do you yeah. guys like it do you guys dislike it what do you think i thought it? it was cool uh it didn't work for me as well in the first one but i felt like it really fit in this one i agree as well because in this one i think it was more for when there was foreign languages and the first one there was just like they would talk and say stuff and it would use those and i'm like i don't like this but then in this one, I liked it, especially when the, especially when Winston was saying the Latin that was part of the movie, right? It's like, if you want peace, prepare for war. And he says it, and it's like... And then it says it the bottom. And it gives you everything, and then you know like what parabellum means if you didn't know it before. Which I did not. I was pronouncing it parabolum for a long time. And I just <laughs> looked it up right when we got in this room before we started podcasting. Luckily, I had a class in high school that we learned a little bit of latin and stuff and so cool there you go i learned so, it from there let's get into real quick just the last few of these fight scenes because we got to pass over them yeah and i know we're getting kind of long in the podcast here the dog fight scene we got to talk about Ooh, casablanca in casablanca what what a freaking rad set of partners to have on your team these dogs that just sufficiently take care of themselves but also aid you like they follow along with you and take guys out as you're going so cool so obedient she must have put so much work into those dogs and they just want to take it from her and she says no and just tears that 
hotel down <laughs> and john wick's one, one of john wick's best lines in the movie where she she the dog gets shot and he's just like i get it like he knows what she's going through and her dog gets shot because he's had the same experience yeah also what a freaking dog mother though outfitting her dogs with bulletproof vests yeah. so that the dog didn't die <laughs> i just i can't imagine how hard that must have been i mean each one of these fight scenes are harder than the next like to choreograph this thing with these dogs in mind on on the attacks and getting the timing right with these animals it's just it's so impressive and so cool also, so well done. also each one of the dogs moves pro- progressively get better and it climaxes with the dog jumping off of her back up oh, onto yeah. this like 20 story not 20 <laughs> 20 foot wall super dog whoa yeah. i'm on this 20 foot wall to get one of the last guys yeah well speaking of that like just these are german shepherds right are the dogs i saw this video on youtube and everyone's talking about how like right scary pit bulls are and i i totally agree with this i saw this video which is john wick's dog new dog is a pit bull but i saw this video where this dude is like running and he has his dog jump off his back similar to this the dog takes like four massive bounds and is probably like two stories up then jumps out onto a flat oh, pole cool. to get a piece of meat off the flagpole does like a full flip and lands on his feet i'm gonna show That's you guys awesome. this video but it's like these dogs like we don't like i look at june and she's like my dog she's a white lab she's very agile she's very skilled and it sometimes surprises me how she can climb and jump on things but i think if like really these dogs are so well trained that they just know one how to work with their master essentially in this but two they also know that they have skills that they can leap that they can jump so they've been tested and trained to where they have the confidence to be a fighting force yeah that's also something i hope for i know that we're gonna maybe talk about it later or just say we talked about it all with what we want for john wick for john wick's dog is so obedient i i hope that he can you know sort of muster that same sort of energy he can call sophia up and ask her some tips and tricks on how to get his dog into that too so he can have his sidekick by him i'm actually gonna push back on that i love so you said you talked about pit bulls and how they're kind of feared yeah I don't want, I want the dog to be John's connection to his wife still. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like one for the movie theme, if the dog all of a sudden starts attacking and fighting people, then he's kind of lost all that connection to the life outside of the assassins kind of a thing. And two, I don't want people to fear pit bulls because some, some of the nicest dogs I've ever seen have been pit bulls. That's true. Yeah. Well, I think I don't necessarily think that John's dog is going to be a fighting dog because of what he's done with it. He's kept it out of harm's way, which is what I assume he did with his wife but in I'm... leaving the world of, you know, the underground. But I hope that the dog has some sweet moves and some sweet scenes. Maybe it rides in the car and somebody like jumps by and it reaches through to attack John. Like the person reaches through to attack John and the pit bull bites it or something. Kind of protects him. Yeah, kind of more as a protector dog, more as like a like an aggressive like dog a home base do. security system dog. Yeah, I, I totally get where you're coming from. Like, like no, the no, connection that you have that with well. your dog, you know, is like it's it's deep and you don't really get to see that a lot because the dog is always chilling at the Continental or something. But I don't know. Um, also, shout out real quick to the type of dog that uh, Halle Berry has. They are Belgian Milan, Milan, Milanois, Milanese dogs. Oh, so those aren't German They're shepherds. Ger- yeah, they Sorry. aren't German shepherds. They look very much like a German shepherd. So we got two more fights to go through. Uh, which ones? Which one did you like more? Did you like the gunfight in the Continental, defending the Continental? Or did you like the fight in the Hall of Glass, I get, I'm going to call it? Oh, this is where like the fight... 
I know they're very different. Zero, right? So we have the gunfights in the Continental, where everyone has their like super bulletproof armor. Yeah, and it's all green and stuff. Uh huh. Where he's like, it was just like a. I will say I. I like the glass one more, and so I'll get to that. But this one is also so cool. The one where they're like in the lobby and everything is green. Where Winston was like, oh, like turn, like prepare for our guest. And at first I thought it was just going to go all blackout, but then those green lights come on. And I'm like, they're just trying to make this look like so cool. And they do the same thing at the glass one later. And I'm like, I'm not complaining. I like it. Um, I did have a little bit of a problem with the one, the gunfight that's in the lobby of the Continental the gunfight because uh they do a really really good job at making it super realistic and reloads and everything are a big part of this one right after they did one of the most realistic parts where they went back and they got the shotguns and they came back john wick he was like he was out of bullets and so you'd see him put like two shells into his shotgun shoot twice and then he did it again and he shot two people and then right after that it showed him look down and i counted after it went that he shot like 14 shots in a row, like without ever reloading. And so I'm like, what happened That's to the realistic of part of it? Like, cause he didn't even put in that many, like the shotgun didn't even have that many, even if it was fully loaded yeah. at the beginning. And Most so shotguns like, can carry four to six. Yeah. So they have a plug one of those 14 barrel, but that's like, got like an addition magazine. <laughs> yeah. Extended, that's like, extended magazine. That's probably one of my only nitpicks of this entire movie. If that's like, any consolation for like how or any representation of how amazing it this is movie is probably the most realistic that i can think of as far as like as gun far fighting. as an over-the-top gunfight action movie where it actually does show where he's pulling the clips like pulling clips off of bad guys that he just killed he steals their clip and sticks it in their gun or you know like normally these kind of movies don't even think about they don't even like pass over it and this one you actually see him reload multiple times or steal weapons from someone else drop a gun pick someone else's gun up that kind of thing that's what I loved about it. And I loved the way that he, when when he first walks out and realizes how well these bulletproof armor is, he would use them, like he would have to keep, he'd be fighting four or five guys and he'd have to keep shooting the guys behind him just to knock them back down. So you had time to get closer to someone else. Just get close to get and shoot them in the back of the neck. Yeah. yeah. It was really cool how they just had to, yeah, I love that. Which scene did you like more? I can't decide. <laughs> Vince, I asked an impossible question. I know. <laughs> so for me, like I like the glass room scene, like where they're breaking through like the glass and the mirrors. I want I want to know what all those arc- artifacts were that were in there. I want to know what they all meant, what they they were just all glass skulls, right? Yeah. Like a bunch of them and there was different things. But what I really liked about this when we kinda of talked about earlier it was kind of like a like a video game level, right? Like it got progressively harder. But the thing was is it felt quite realistic in a lot of ways like john just has this drive right to complete the task to make sure he doesn't die but also to at this point he's teamed up with winston and the concierge to make sure that they're safe but also they can achieve things against the high table and the adjudicator and i think that this is a really cool part because they get to this point where they fought and they've done all this stuff which is fought in the green like the lobby of the continental and they get to this and that's when, like, the adjudicator is like, let's call a truce or, like, a parley, parley or whatever, you know? So it's like, mm, that's cool. Mm-hmm. And all the fighting is beautiful. Yeah, and I love how the ninjas, like, are full ninjas in this. Yeah. They can vanish into darkness. Or he'll look down and then turn around and then they're gone. Like, they'll be gone. But then he does it. And then he turns it around and does it right back to him. And like, like freaking John Wick. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what it reminded me of is what... 
was it Batman or one of those? Like, I think it was like Batman versus Superman where one of the characters disappears. Like, oh, that's what that feels yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's kind of like, ooh. Yeah, it's a dark night. And how much Ooh, fun right. was that? I mean, we I think we went over this already, but that Zero was such a nerd about John Wick and how excited <laughs> he was to fight him and the twins. I, I maybe they're not twins. The other two ninjas they look like twins. that just like had so much respect for him and were just so excited to fight with him. And it just made it that much more fun instead of being this serious thing that brought some humor to it. I was really disappointed to see Zero die. But I'm really glad that the twins survived. Can we talk about the humor that came along with that too? Where he's like, I'll be seeing you, John. Just give me a bit. He's yeah. like, no, Just you Just got to catch my breath. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we need to give a shout out to Zero, the guy who plays Zero, the actor, Mark. De- I'm going to butcher his last name, DeCassios or DeCassos. He's actually like a super, like he was like a Kung Fu master and martial arts master. Whoa. And he won a number of like titles back in the day. And then he's been like an actor and a stunt double for a long time now. But this is like, I felt that this for me was like a really big, like, whoa, this guy is freaking yeah, he legit. Was great. He's, he's the boss. Yeah. It's the boss level. The reason why I like this fight so much besides all of the cool visual effects that went along with it is because very much like the gunfight in the continental lobby, they did everything they could to make it very modern and very like, I don't want to say pimped out. That's not the right word. Just like really, (laughs) really cool. They had like these ginormous screens in the background, which had this cool, like like cloud wavy effect. And they had like this like hardcore, like EDM music going on while they were fighting and it was just keeping it moving and everything like that. And there was also some like, branding going on just like this ginormous watch just kept on showing up like on a ginormous television in the background just making it all look super slick yeah i just loved it it was really it cool so how, much style how so many times because it switched between guns between samurai swords and everything like that and when they would do that how you were fooled by the way they would do the cinematography at where glass was and where glass wasn't mm-hmm. and so super cool also how sharp those things were that they were able to just like someone takes a swing and it doesn't just like, you know, shatter the glass, but it just makes a little whizzing. Yeah. You know? Uh, so one last thing about it. Um, the part where Keanu Reeves gets knocked down by, I'm going to call them the twins, but I don't know if they're twins. Which uh, one of like the 50 times. The first time when he, when they fall down and they, they kind of put their knives up to him and then they kind of get up and John Wick gets up and he like puts his hands up like, give me a second, you know, and he takes his belt off. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> um, so I found this quote, according to Chad Stahelski, when John Wick is knocked down during his fight with the two Shinobi, he was supposed to get straight back up. Keanu Reeves stumbled on the day, tired from shooting, but played it off as a comedic beat, which made it to the final cut of the movie. So that wasn't even planned. <laughs> nice. And it works so well. It's, it's so cool. That did work really well. The reason I asked, like, what time was because at the very beginning when he first starts fighting them, you know, like, they fight a little bit, but they keep pushing him. Yo, he gets pushed into, like, ten of those brave yeah. things and, like, breaks all of them. Shatters all the glass. <laughs> oh, so, man. anyway. His body took a beating. Yeah. And it was beautiful. And then the movie wraps up with Winston betraying him. That freaking dirtbag. Actually, I don't necessarily know if it's a betrayal, to be honest with you. Because he could have just shot him in the head and been done with it, but he shot him in this, like, bulletproof suit. So that was my question. Do you guys think that he really betrayed him, or do you think that he really could, he really expected him to survive that fall off that building? Before I answer that, I think that John Wick is way too good to have had that happen to him, you know? Obviously, he wasn't expecting it, but it's like Winston, who's, like, 
again, sorry, Ian McShane, like a million year old guy just like starts <laughs> shooting him with one gun and he has guns and he has a bulletproof vest. And he just like falls off the building. It's John the first Rick. time he's stepped back instead of moving forward towards the yeah, enemy. Well, because, and the thing is, it's not even, he's just like, whoa, oh no. Like he raises his like little like suit thing that has the bulletproof vest in it. But even then he falls. I, by what happens at the end of the movie and by knowing who, uh, what's his name? Charon, Charon. Just call him the concierge. The concierge. Like knowing who his character is and how much he likes John Wick. Like, I think that it was like some sort of secret plan of theirs. Maybe they've got it worked out with the Bonry King and the Bowery King, sorry. Um, and everything in the underworld so that that would happen. But it's it's hard to think that because it was just so blatant. And that, yeah. that fall was when I was like, okay, like that's CGI because that's crazy and no person could ever survive that ever. Exactly. And that's what makes me question whether or not this was planned or not or if he really got betrayed was you can't expect someone to survive a fall like that, even John Wick. Yeah, I don't know. So what do you guys want to, from John Wick for? Ooh, ooh, I want the John Wick Matrix <laughs> crossover. <laughs> well, so here's what I think kind of thing. So now the Continental essentially in New York is its own thing. And it's kind of just doing its thing now, right? Like Winston has control of it, which is awesome. And he's kind of come to a truce with the high table. But now the Bowery King, he's in a new hideout in a new layer, and he's mad, right? Like, you get down there, and he's mad. So what I think is going to happen is you're going to see a rise of the Bowery in the next one. And what I really hope, though, is that they use the Continental as kind of their operating base. Because, like, in having the connections with the Continental, they get connections into, like, the administration, which we need to learn a little bit more about. Like, the guy who could deconcentrate concentrate or unconcentrate crate concentrate concentrate the like the building like who is that guy like how can you just take a building away from you know being what it was in the matter of minutes so i think we're going to see them go into essentially infiltrate the high table and take over and the rise of the bowery within the high table see i think that as well i think that john wick and the bowery are teaming up and they're going after the high table and that's going to be the big part of it because I think the Bowery have probably been preparing for this moment for a long time because they're under the high tables like shoe. And even though they do their own thing, they're sort of living the lower life. And I think they're ready to rise up and revolt. So even though it'll still focus on a lot of John Wick one-on-one -on -one fighting, it's going to be about the revolution. I love the yeah. way that you said that, by the way, like under the foot of the high table, because I think that's a good way to look at it because I think that the actual, the high table and the assassins like John Wick's, culture of people they really look at them as like like kind of like we talked about earlier is more sar sarcastically like a lower level like a two-star assassin versus a five-star assassin right i think they mm -hmm. look at them like that but i think what we're going to see is this connected web has been gathering intel for so long that they're going to know the weak points of the high table and make it so that they can get in that's exactly what i want from it too you guys nailed it like for me like i want to see john recruit all these different factions go back to the the Ruskaron or did I say that? The Rescaroma go back to the Bowery. I mean, the Bowery King's already with him. The Bowery men are already with him. And I want him to go and I want him to recruit the people that he's left alive throughout these past movies. The twin, the uh, Shinobi guys, I want them to come back and be on John Wick's side this time. I want Sophia to come back and be on John Wick's side against the High Tia Bill. And I want the guy from John Wick 1, I don't know his name, 
but the other assassin that he fights with that he leaves the knife in his trach or in his chest he's, in the subway. He's dead. He died? Yeah. I thought he left him alive. No, did you see him like pass out as he closes the door? I thought he said that as long as you don't pull it out, you're su- you'll survive. Oh no, yeah, he did say that. He's like, he's like, it's in it was your... it was a really good thing. It's like it's in your aorta. It's like so you can like get to a hospital and stuff, and they'll be able to do something. But if you pull it out, then you're screwed. Yeah, he might have just passed out because his adrenaline is gone. His body went into like save me mode. I don't know. I haven't watched it in a while, but last I remembered, he was still alive, and I would love for him to come back. And all these people who John Wick has come across and have this newfound respect for John that tried to kill John, side with John, and just go, I said John a lot there, and just go up against the high table and just reorganize this whole thing. But we like the elder, don't we? Do we? I don't know. I did make John Wick cut off his finger, which I was surprised that that wasn't a bigger part of like the end of the movie was like how he fought without it. It sort of just worked. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. Anyway, sorry. That's what I want to see. I want to see John and recruit everyone and just revolution well yeah because you talked about revolution <laughs> revolution against the high table and also even though it was before the whole betrayal thing happens the adjudicator she was like you know this was just the first wave this is just mm-hmm. the amuse bouge or whatever and he's like we've got new york and he's all like you, yeah you, yeah you like and, underestimate the alliance that i had we're new york you know? yeah exactly and so i think like that like all these assassins who exist in new york which apparently there's ton of them because john wick like can't go 10 feet in the beginning without getting almost killed by someone so violin players sumo wrestlers everyone is an assassin at one point i don't know it'll be interesting to see and i think that That was a good one sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you the sumo wrestler that tried to kill him that was number two sorry that one's one's great no i had to bring that up because that's like the that's the craziest death i think in number two in my opinion but you never know I don't know. Do we have any more to talk about or chat about or any? So last thing, we have John Wick 4 coming up, I think, in 2021. Yep. And they also have a TV show that they are creating called The Continental that Stars is making based on, again, I heard two different things. One thing that I read said it was based on the New York Continental, but not going to have Winston as the leader. And then another thing said that it's a the L.A. Continental that it's going to be based in. Mm, and then also, I also read a rumor that there might be another one in the John Wick universe called the Ballerina. And there's not really anything out about that other than people are theorizing that the ballerina that you see when John Wick is walking through, who's dancing for the director, um, they think it's going to be based on that character, but there's no real information. It's Black Widow surprise. Yeah, oh, yeah crossover. Crossover! Or it's the Red Sparrow. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Actually, there's didn't another. See that. Oh, there's. A, she's a ballerina before, and then becomes an assassin. So, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think there's endless possibilities to this universe because it's something that's growing every movie. So I'm curious what's going to happen in four, right? And we're what we're going to learn more mm-hmm. about and what's going to be rearranged. Um, John Wick's cool. John Wick's cool. Anything John else Wick's we want to cool. add? <laughs> John Wick's John Wick's the man. <laughs> TikTok, Mr. Wick. Happy uh, hunting. I don't know. I'm trying to think of other one-liners TikTok, we can throw in there. Someone get this man a gun. <laughs> oh, uh, man. I think we should do like a, a quick episode sometime on the weapons of John Wick, like the weapons of Wick. I think that'd be kind of fun, like looking into like gun foo and kind of all those things that go along with it, like the weapons he uses and randomly picks up and the way he kills people. I think that'd be a fun mini episode. But 
We are not talking John Wick next week, actually. For the first time in like three weeks, we're going to talk something a little bit different. Something a little bit more chaotic, I think, would be a good way to describe it. Josh, what are we watching next week? Next week, we will be diving into the, hopefully, masterpiece with the Joker. Joker, sorry. Just Joker. (laughs) Yeah, it's just Joker. With Joaquin Phoenix. What do you think, Vince? What are your predictions? Let's do this. I'm so (laughs) excited, guys. Ever since the first teaser trailer dropped, ever since everything has happened, obviously I love Heath Ledger, and this is, you know, there's nothing that's ever going to be against Heath Ledger ever. But I think if there's anyone who could actually take up the mantle of the Joker and do something that'll really change cinema with it, it's fucking Phoenix. I want to argue that it's Jared Leto. No, it's not. (laughs) I'm sorry. I had to throw that out there. (laughs) No, he's fine. He's fine. And, you know, I like 30 Seconds to Mars and all. But <laughs> No, I just uh, had to throw that in there. I already have my tickets for Thursday night. So Ooh. I'm, I'm ready. I'm probably going to go on Saturday or Sunday. I'm not going to lie to yeah. you. So tune in. Yes. Tune in. That'll we're be gonna, fun one. We're going to talk the, the madness of the of Joker. Um, anything else you guys want to cover before we go? No, just thanks so much for tuning into the podcast. We really appreciate you guys listening. Um, we've been putting up a lot of content on Twitter. Vince is back now, so we're going to have a lot of stuff on Instagram as well. So make sure to check us out, give us a follow, and also head over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are and leave us a review. And don't forget to watch The Dark Crystal. <laughs> <laughs> I threw that in for you, Vince. But thank you so much, one all, for tuning in. We appreciate your support. And uh, yeah. Let us know in the comments of any post what you'd like to see from us and what movies you think we should dive into a little bit as well. So thank you so much for tuning in once more to the Pause, Rewind, Play podcast, and we'll catch you later.